This is Pastor Matt Harmless with another episode of Edgewood Sermon Audio. In this episode, this is the sermon on December the 10th, 2023 from Pastor Matt Harmless, myself. And uh, this is the 112th, 112th sermon from the Gospel according to Luke. If you look in the show's notes, I should have a link to the sermon slides where you can click along while you're listening if you're at a computer. Uh, If not, I hope that you uh, are able to get a lot out of this sermon anyway. We are almost done with the Gospel according to Luke. We will be taking a break from it, as I am taking a break, and we'll be returning to Luke in April. And uh, hopefully uh, you'll still be with me then. Thank you for listening to this episode. And after you're done, uh, if you have any questions know that you can always contact myself, Pastor Matt, or Pastor Paul uh, by looking for Edgewood Church in Danville, Illinois. Luke chapter 21, starting at verse 5 is where we're going to be. Let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into this. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day, and I thank you again for your word and for your truth. I pray now that you would guide and direct as we look at your word today and at Luke 21. And Lord, this teaching that you offered up in the temple uh, 2,000 years ago, God, I pray that you would guide and direct as we think about what you said while you were here. And I just pray now in Christ's name, amen. All right, so if you could hit the lights too. We've got a couple more lights, and I'd like you guys to be nice and awake. Uh, so Luke 21... This is the last public teaching of Jesus. I mean, we're here. We've followed Jesus's earthly ministry, and this is, this is the last. Three of the gospel accounts record these teachings of Jesus. John is the only one that does not record this particular uh, teaching that he did. But three of the gospel accounts record this set of teachings that Jesus did in the temple. And you have to understand, we know this is, this is it. This is the last public discourses he's going to give on this earth as a human being. That's pretty important, isn't it? I want to encourage you to, okay, this is, let's let's really gear in to this, okay? Let's let's focus in and think about this, this teaching. And this is what's been happening in Jerusalem over the course of this last week uh, with Jesus. He's been teaching in the temple. There's been some questioning going on. And behind the scenes, there's some plotting happening, not only to try to trip him up, but also eventually, as we're going to see, to betray him and to crucify him, to kill him is the goal. Jesus, I'm, I'm sure, is aware of this. Now, here we are, the temple. I'm going to Put another picture up of the temple here. Um, this is uh, from that miniature they have outside of Jerusalem. It's important to understand that this is where, this is what, the, to the best of our knowledge, this is what the temple looked like. I'd like you to look at this for just a second. Just let yourselves dwell on this. I mean, he, I, I'm, he would have been in this area, one of these areas. Um, notice, just for perspective's sake, these are houses, right? This would have been a huge structure. Okay, we're going to hear some comments about this. There's some interesting historical uh, records of this. There were stones, and you're going to hear the disciples ask about this, the, the noble stones is what they call them. There were stones that some estimates, 
many of them were 22 feet. Now imagine a, a stone, 10 feet, 10 feet by 22 feet, solid one stone, right? There were some that Josephus records may have been up to 60 some feet long. One stone had been transported. There are records that Herod, so this temple is the temple that Ezra, Nehemiah during that time period, but Herod, King Herod, to win the favor of the people had come in and said, I'm gonna refurbish this thing. The refurbishment started about 20 or 30 years before Jesus's day. It's recorded that there were 10,000 people working on this over the course of those years. It's not finished even in Jesus's day. They're still doing things to it. Another 20 years is gonna go by after Jesus's crucifixion where they're still refurbishing this temple. You're also gonna hear them refer to some vestments or ornaments on the temple. There were golden grape clusters as big as people decorating this thing. There were all kinds of things that people had contributed and given. I mean, this would have been a beautiful spectacle to see. Take that into account of the idea that they would have been there in this place where Jesus is teaching just days before he had ridden in on the donkey, right? He had cleared out this temple of the merchants. I mean, they're like, they're thinking, this is end times kind of stuff. The temple is rebuilt. It's magnificent. It's beautiful. The king is here. And, and even with the cleansing, some of the people didn't like that and they questioned him on this, but I think many of the people said, it's about time. And they're still waiting for the next step of this process. And so they're looking at this temple. And here's the thing, in the Jewish mind, and I want you to, I'm gonna say this, I just want you to, to, to let it soak in, okay? In the Jewish mind, the rebuilding of this temple, the completion of this temple was one of the first signs of the end. That actually kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? But for them, that's what they, they're seeing and they're actually seeing it. There it is. And they're looking at it in all of its glory. And for them, in those days, we have written records that this is one of the things, when they looked at end times views, right? They had their end times views and one of their end times views was this would be completed, the king would come. So you can imagine this refurbished temple, and they're standing around looking at it, and there's Jesus who rode in on the donkey, and they're thinking, ah, we're here. I get that feeling. I do that sometimes when I watch the news. Ah, we're here. <laughs> now, listen to what happens next. Because if you, if you let yourself just sink into the Jewish mind, the temple, the king. It's all coming together. And then listen to Jesus. So they're sitting there, they're talking about the temple too. Verse five of Luke chapter 21. And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, as there's those vestments of this golden thing, all these things. He said, Jesus goes, hey, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now for the Jewish mindset, this would not fit in at all. This was important. This building 
was part of it. We've got the building, we've got the king, and then the king comes in and says, this is all gonna get knocked down. Your mind would be going, wait, what? That doesn't fit into our view of the end times. Now, we're gonna listen to Jesus's response to that because they're gonna say, wait, what? It's not written that way, but in the Greek, that's what they said, wait, what? I'm just making that up, that's not true. Um, I, I wanna read a quote. There's, there's some important things to take into account before we jump into this. Let me, I wanna give you two things to take into account. So we're gonna, we're gonna build a infrastructure for trying to understand this passage, okay? And the first one is that it's difficult to understand. Leon Morris says this, there are some exegetical problems. <laughs> okay, now, <laughs> that's a way to understate it, Leon Morris. There's some, you know what this means? This means, that means there's some problems with just taking a look and saying, this is what this means, and this is what this means, and this is, exegesis, this is what these texts mean. There's some problems with doing this in this text, okay? So if you approach this text and you go, this is easy. You, well, clue the rest of the world in, because I'm telling you right now, the rest of us are gonna read this and go, this is challenging to understand, Okay, so an important piece of the infrastructure in understanding this text is understanding that it's difficult to understand, okay? So uh, that's important. I mean, if you come at it with a simplistic mindset, you're gonna walk away with about a bunch of bad ideas, okay? There are some exegetical problems. Notably, he says, those posed by the fact that part of the address seems to apply to the end of all things, and part to the destruction of Jerusalem. And I need to focus on that destruction of Jerusalem. This is gonna be really important. In fact, this is gonna be hugely important because I'm telling you right now, a work that all people used to read as their textbook of history was called the, the, the works of Josephus. That's fallen out. We have different history books now, don't we? And a lot of the things that he wrote about aren't read regularly by people. And I'm telling you right now, that, that, that's a problem. This is important. I'm gonna come back to that one in just a minute. So problem number one, this is challenging. And one of the challenges is that you're gonna read it and sometimes you're gonna go, is this talking about this? Or is this talking about this? Or is this talking about this? Or this talking about that? In fact, I wanna give you an example. There's a hundred different examples I had to try to figure out which one to do. Uh, I hope you have your Bible because I would like you, I'm not gonna do this on the screen. I want you to look at it yourself because I think your eyes scanning down will help this next thing I do to be helpful. I'd like you to look into Zechariah chapter 14. Turn to Zechariah chapter 14 for a moment, please. Some of you have physical Bibles. Some of you have phones. I think there's some Bibles underneath some of these seats. I'd like you to look at this, Zechariah chapter 14. And I want to go to verse 4. Zechariah 14, 4. I'm going to read this, and I want you to think, what's he talking about? Zechariah 14.4, on that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. So that one half of the mountain shall move northward and the other half southward. Hmm. Now, 
What's he talking about? When's that going to happen? Now, last time I checked Google Maps, there was no big valley in the middle of the Mount of Olives. But what day is he talking about? Now, John Calvin, in his commentary on Zechariah, talks about this. I think he's got some important input. Because I'd like you to go back. Now, now was Zechariah, did he, when he got to the end of one chapter, did he stop and go, number 14? Did, did Zechariah do that? No. So I'm going to go back to 13, and I think it's talking about the same day. Go back to chapter 13, uh, verse 7, halfway through. This one's going to sound a little bit more familiar. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. I will turn my hand against the little ones. Ooh, did that, did that sound familiar? Where, where is that at? Somebody help me out. Where do you hear that at? Anybody know? Where do you hear that, that in the New Testament? Yeah. Well, striking the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Where do you hear that in the New Testament? Yeah. So, so when Jesus is taken, the, the sheep scattered, the disciples, and the Bible clearly tells us this day is talking about that day, that time. In fact, most of the things that you see here are talking about that time. In fact, John Calvin points out that this is most likely talking about that time, this Mount of Olives being split. Now, again, is that difficult to understand? Yes. You know what I think he's talking about when that Mount of Olives is split? When Jesus came, not when he's coming, but when he came, he broke the world. And he established a kingdom. Isaiah talks about this in similar terms. He talks about things being leveled and Jerusalem being elevated. Zechariah talks about the same thing. And, and I'm telling you what right now, that's exactly what has happened. Isaiah talks about it as a way, which the first Christians talked about. They didn't call it Christianity. They called it, we are the people of the way. Isaiah talks about the, the way paved and you can get there. In fact, listen to this. If you go down, go back to Zechariah chapter 14. If you go down to verse eight, on that day, he says, living waters shall flow out from Jerusalem. Again, is he talking about a physical stream of water? No. We know that Jesus even talks about himself and the good news of the gospel is being living water streaming out. And that's the thing. At that time when Christ conquered sin and death on the cross and then rose from the grave, the world was broken and the powers that be were shaken and there was something that happened. And the good news of the gospel was going to spread out, not just to this area, but throughout the whole world. The good news was going to spread. Now, you may go, wow, I don't know if I could have. That's my point. When you read these Old Testament prophets, there's things that you read that you go, uh, some of these things that go, how is that going to fit in? That we read the New Testament, they go, oh, okay, we can see that clearly. Some of them are laid out for us. Some of them are not. What's the point? The point is that when you read these Old Testament prophecies, there's this weird blend where things are being talked about like now and later. Can you see that? So when you listen to this next part of Luke 21, it's so important to understand that because it's not easy to understand, 
Don't be too quick to divvy things up into this is this and this is this. In fact, what you're gonna see is that there's some things that are, this is talking about then and then and 20 other times in between. Now I know this is, let's take a look at it. Let's just go back. Oh, my tablet, I went too far off. My tablet turned off. All right. Let's go to the next verse. Because verse 7 in Luke 21 is the disciples going, wait, what? Okay. They asked him, teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? In other words, I've got, Jesus, I've got my uh, eschatological timeline written out. And I don't know where to stick that. Because it doesn't match up with what I thought. The temple being torn down, again, doesn't match up. So they want to know when this is going to be. They had an end times view that what he just said did not fit in. The next verse, I imagine right before Jesus says the next thing, I imagine Jesus, can I imagine something for a second? I imagine that he says it, this temple is going to be knocked down. He knows what, he, man, he, and he, and they go, when is this going to be? And I imagine, I don't know this. I imagine there was a flash of memory, a flash of future memory before his eyes. Crusades and world wars and genocides and natural disasters and false, whole false religion springing up. Now, I know he didn't contemplate that way, but I think there was a, what's the most important thing to be said here? Your question is, where does this fit in the timeline? What's the most important thing that Jesus can say in his last days on this planet? What is the most important thing that he's gonna say about all of this? Is it gonna be important that he's gonna lay out the timeline? I sure wish he would have done that. But I think he said the most important thing. What does he say next? Listen, and he said, I imagine a sigh before he speaks. When are these things gonna take place? See to it that you're not led astray. Now, pause for a second. For those of you who like to take notes, there's three don'ts in this. One of them is kind of hard to see, but if you go to the, the original language, it's, it's the same. It's don't this, don't this, and don't this. He said, see to it that you're not led astray. That's the first one. So if you're a note taker, don't number one, that's gonna infiltrate the rest of this text. It, it, and it's literally, the, the don't be led astray, is the, it, it could be translated, don't wander off. Don't stray. See to it that don't be led astray. For between... <laughs> Now, in the end, many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and saying, the time is at hand. It's the time, or I am he. Don't go after them. There's the second one. And it's, that one is, don't be led. 
So there's the, the idea of just wandering astray. And this one is more the idea of being led astray. Even though it says led astray at the first one, this, is, this one contains more of the idea, but there's a bit of an overlap there. So I'm fine with this, the way it's stated. And then he says, when you hear of wars, wars and tumults, there's the third one. Don't be terrified. And the word, this is only used twice in the New Testament. This word is translated terrified. And they think, and that's all it is, is they think. They think it comes from the word to fly off. Imagine making a loud noise and a bird going, <gasps> right? That's what the idea is with this one. Don't let these things that happen cause you to go, ah, I'm out of here. Jesus' response to the question, when, is don't wander off, don't get let off, and don't get scared off, right? Don't wander off, don't be let off, don't, don't get scared off. Everything else that we're gonna read has to do with Jesus saying ways that that could happen. If if you think about what, what is said, even already, he's hinting at some of these things. Let's think about this. After this time period, after this time period, after he says these things, about 500 years later, there's a guy that comes along and says, I've heard that you've said, you've said these things about Jesus, but I'm gonna tell you, there's, there's a little bit more missing. And he starts making proclamations about the rest of the truth. That guy's name was Muhammad. And he said, Jesus was a great prophet. I'm better. Were many led astray even today? Several hundred years after that, and I'm skipping a thousand in the middle that were small leadings astray. There was another guy who came along and said, you've heard Jesus, this, yes, all this stuff is good, but there's a little bit more. God gave me a little bit more. And this is gonna redefine everything else that you have already heard and you gotta follow me. And he took them all out to Utah. <laughs> right? And there's, there's multiple other ones along the way where people have come along and said, you've heard, but I, Jesus said, there's gonna be so many that are gonna come along and say, I'm, there's more missing. I'm he, let's go this, this steer off. Jesus knew that in the net, they didn't know it was gonna be 2,000 years at least later before the final end of all things was going to come. And he knew there's a whole bunch of things that's gonna happen, things that are gonna cause us to wander off, things that are gonna cause us to be let off, and things that are gonna cause us to be scared off from just sticking to the way. The way that he was gonna make when he demolished the world and all of its, everything with it, and there's a path leading to salvation and Jerusalem is gonna stand as a pinnacle hill for all the world to look at with a cross at the top. And we're all gonna go, Hits, that's him. He's the way, this is the way. He's the king. And he's reigning and ruling until all of his enemies are placed under his feet already. There is no room in this word for that to fail. Keep all that in mind. In fact, let me throw one more thing in there before we do, and I'm gonna plow through the rest of this. So I know you may be thinking, Matt, we got a giant clock. It's already 1120, you better pick up the pace, okay? I'm gonna fly through the rest of this because the rest of this is easy to tackle. I know that you may be thinking that the hardest stuff is to come. No, the rest of this is easy to tackle if you understand 
this concept of what he laid out. Here's the important part. Don't wander off, don't be let off, and don't get scared off. If you can, do, if you can stick to that and stick to him through everything that's gonna come, that's the important part. I wanna show you one more passage of scripture that I think will help us understand when we look at any of these end times things. The passage is in 1 John. I'll put the passage up there in a second, so don't get antsy. Uh, 1 John, and wait, who wrote 1 John? Who wrote 1 John? John. Oh, wow, good job, son. <laughs> who, who wrote Revelation? John. John. So all the stuff we know about the end times, listen to what he says in 1 John. He, did you know he had some end time stuff in 1 John? You probably didn't know that, did you? Children, it's the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now, many Antichrists have come. Uh, what is Antichrist? Anti doesn't mean against Christ. What does it mean? Not Christ. But it looks like him to whoever's following. He's, he's our Messiah. He's our hero. He's our Savior. What if the stuff that happens at the very end is just something that's always been happening all along? Isn't that what John's actually kind of saying right there? Have there not been many antichrists? Even since John said there's been many, have there many more to come? Have there not been people all throughout history that have looked at it and said, this is the one that's gonna change everything and save us? There's been some terrible ones that did that. You don't think there was people that followed wholeheartedly after Hitler? And thought he was the, the bee's knees, <laughs> right? Do we not even have today the temptation to think, oh, we, don't we even have the, the desire to find somebody that's gonna lead the way to save us all and save the mess? In fact, the more messed up everything gets, the more we go, man, I hope maybe this is the guy. There are many antichrists who have come. Maybe the things that we're gonna see are repeated cycles all throughout history. Hmm. In fact, let's take a look at the next one. He starts to give some, some specifics. And if you start thinking simplistic, you'll miss the point. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. Don't miss. Gonna all this. What, what did he just say? Bunch of terrible stuff is going to happen. Don't wander off. Don't get led off and don't get scared off. And it's gonna be real easy to get scared off because of things they're gonna do to you. Even this phrasing, nation will rise against nation. You don't think that people have thought that before? When, I mean, we're looking out of the news, we're like, oh, nation against nation. I'm gonna go, remember I mentioned that guy named Josephus? He wrote his history book in the year 100 A.D., so about 40 years, 
50 years, 60 years after Jesus, somewhere around that, where he wrote the, the works of Joseph. He didn't call it the works of Josephus, but he wrote these history. Listen to what he says. Very beginning of one of his works, he says this. Whereas the war, there was a war that the Jews fought. They rose in rebellion against the Romans. It happened in AD 70. Josephus writes about it. He was actually part of it in different measures. He was there. Listen to how he describes it. Whereas the war which the Jews made with the Romans hath been the greatest of all those, not only that have been in our times, but in a manner of those that were ever heard of. Both of those wherein cities have fought against cities or nations against nations. I mean, he saw the wars that were going on as nations rising up against nations. In fact, a little bit after this, as he's explaining how that war came about, he writes this. The Jews hoped, so in AD 70, when they revolted against the Romans, the Jews had hoped that all of their nation, which were beyond the Euphrates, would have raised an insurrection again together with them. The Gauls, so then he said, okay, so over, over here in the, the nation of Rome, right, the, the, the Roman Empire, he was hoping that the, those Jews, and they already knew that the Gauls, right, up France area, he says, uh, they were in the neighborhood of the Romans, they were in motion, and the, the Celtic, right, the Celtics all the way up in the United Kingdom area, right, uh, they were not quiet, but all was in disorder after the death of Nero. The world, the known world was in tumult, right? At the same time, they were being brought before kings and governors and being persecuted through the middle of all of this. Nations against nations, kingdom against kings. This, did it, was that the only time that that's happened? No, and it keeps happening. It keeps happening. It keeps happening. And it almost feels a mathematician exponentially bigger each and every time, does it not? Bigger and bigger and grander. World War II was huge. There's stuff going on everywhere. And Jesus says, instead of being let off or wandering off or being scared off, when all of this stuff happens, when there's tumults, when there's crazy battles going on, when there's earthquakes, when you get dragged before people, when you get questioned, when you get singled out, there's a different way to look at it. And it's not, yikes, it's opportunity. For the Christian, opportunity comes knocking like the world is at war. And you as a Christian, when you watch the news or you see your freedoms being taken away or you see things falling apart around you, you ought to go with a little glitter, little, little glimmer in your eye. Opportunity, opportunity. This is not a time for us to get scared off or to get led off or to wander off. This is a time for us to go. The opportunities are abundant in our world, right? They're everywhere. You can't wake up without there being another opportunity presented before you to just say, I am fully confident and trusting in this Jesus Christ that saved my soul. That's when Jesus is questioned about end times things, Ultimately, his answer is basically this. The world's gonna go to, thank you. And it's gonna happen a lot of times. Yeah, literally, Danville has gone to pot. 
The world's going to, it's again and again and again. It's going to be a disaster over and over again. But in the middle of all of this, Christ's kingdom will rise up and reign. The wheat and the tares are growing up at the same time. And you ought to look at all these things that are happening, not as anything else other than what Jesus says right here. This is your opportunity to bear witness. This is a chance. Again, when things go bad, Christians don't go, let's get going. They say, let's get going because this is an opportunity to bear witness to the greatness of Jesus. Because this guy will fail you, and this guy will fail you, and this guy will fail you, and this country will fail you, and these people will fail you, and this thing will fall apart, and this thing won't last, and this kingdom will rot. But Jesus is king supreme. He's at the right hand of the throne of the Father. And all of his enemies are being subdued. And he keeps going. The church, his people, is unstoppable. Right? Right? That's the point. Now, real fast. I said I was going to go faster. I'm trying. Settle there before, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate. Don't get anxious about it beforehand, how to answer. I'm going to give you a mouth and wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. These opportunities are going to come, and when the time comes, you step up to the plate. Put me in cold. I'm ready to play right now, right? Let's go. You will be delivered up. Now, don't let this shake you. Don't let this scare you. You'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. You know, it doesn't happen as often as it could. Some people don't see it as opportunity when their, their family goes the way of the world. You know why? Because they just go with them. They wander off. We're surrounded right now by people who are unwilling to stand their ground for what is good and what is right and what is true out of love for them. And they call it love and then they wander off with them in their sin. Opportunity blown. You'll be delivered up. Opportunity. Some of you, they will put to death. That happens in our world already. There are places in this world where that is happening. There are places in this world where that has been happening. There are places, there's not one point of time or history where Christians have not been put to death because they stood for Christ. Opportunity though. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. They hate you, guess what? Opportunity. Not a hair of your head will perish. Figure that one out. They're going to kill you, but not one hair will perish. But by your endurance, by your endurance, you will gain your lives. You gain your lives in God's kingdom, not by starting well, but by finishing there are many people that stand up, but then they fall away. And I'm telling you right now, that is not the sign of a true believer in Jesus Christ. That passage with, I mentioned with 1 John 2, 18, the very next verse says, someone out of us because they were not all of us. Most scholars agree that the next part, verses 20 through uh, 24, is a, 
Luke kind of divides things up a little bit better than Matthew and Mark do. He's kind of splits them up a little bit better. Some people think that this was Luke's attempt at helping with eschatology. So Luke lays out, and this next few, most scholars would say, this is talking about AD 70. Okay, so let's just read this. I'm not saying 100% positive. I'm saying, most scholars would say this is about AD 70. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are inside the city depart. And let not those who are out in the country enter it. Talking about Jerusalem, right? For these days of, these are days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, AD 70, for there will be great distress upon the earth. For them, that's what it was. And wrath against this people because they'd rejected their king. The Jews had rejected their king and it was time for that to end. But in the process of doing this, Olivet would be split asunder by the king of the universe as he makes a way to his kingdom that is no longer by that temple. In fact, he said to them, he says, you want to destroy this temple? I'll rebuild it in three days. And he did. Not that one. Himself. There's a way now to God that doesn't require a temple built by human hands. But Christ has made a way. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now he shifts gears. Next part, most people think this is about the end. And I would say the dividing line is kind of like how my hands are divided right now. There's some overlap here. There will be signs and sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and of the waves, people fainting with fear, with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And, and again, don't let yourself hone in. Don't let a sci-fi mindset influence the way you read the Bible, okay? Some of these things, in fact, that word powers doesn't have to mean you looked up and you saw the stars going, oh! right? It could mean, what else? Spiritual powers, authorities. I think we even see that going on in the world around us. There's some spiritual craziness happening in our world around us. And the powers are shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, straighten up, raise your heads. Your redemption is drawing near. Straighten up, people. Don't wander off. Don't wander off. Don't be let off by some internet rabbit trail. <laughs> Don't get scared off. Straighten up. The redemption is drawing near. And he tells them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees and all the trees. And soon as, they, as soon as they come out and leaf, you see for yourselves and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Again, don't, don't split it up too much. I'm telling you right now, some of you, Regardless of the end, not a single one of you in this room knows when your end is coming. And the kingdom of God may be coming nearer for some of you than it is for others. Straighten up. 
You don't wander off. Some of you, your end may be tomorrow. It's possible all of our ends may be tomorrow. Praise Jesus, come Lord quickly. <laughs> but until it does, don't you wander off. Straighten up. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves. I mean, every time, every time it's almost frustrating because every time he starts to get into it where I'm like, my, I start, my eschatological interest starts to salivate and I'm like, yeah, tell me more about all the cool stuff that's gonna happen. As soon as he starts to get in that, he comes back and says, if you're all you care about is that, you're missing it because I'm telling you what, so many will fall away. Just don't let it be you. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves. Lest your hearts be weighed down, anxious, dissipation, Dissipation is an interesting word because drunkenness we know, but dissipation could be understood as almost getting a buzz, for lack of a better term. High on life, full of anxiety. You want to forget it all? Don't let, watch yourselves. And the cares of this life, the anxieties of this life, the worries of this life, don't let any of those things, don't let all this stuff distract you. That day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. All of us have an end. Every single one of us. Don't wander off. Don't be led astray. Stand firm. Stay awake. Be aware. Your end is coming. Stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. This chapter concludes with simply saying, and every day he was teaching in the temple, but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. Early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple, so each day he was doing these things. The very next chapter It starts to happen. Betrayal, arrest, trials, and then a crucifixion. Would feel for these disciples like a loss, but it was the greatest victory this world had ever seen. Are you excited about that part? I'm not gonna talk about it right away. I'm gonna wait till April. <laughs> That's good timing, right? Let's wait till April. Right before we get to Easter, let's come back to Luke and delve into this last part because and let's just in the meantime, from now till then, right? But think about this for a second. Paul's message last week in Colossians talked about all these wonderful things. And then there's this really powerful word with only two letters in the English language. What word was it? If, if indeed, let that thought penetrate your mind because that's ultimately what Jesus is saying right here. And there's, he's saying that if, there's a lot of things that I want to 
tilt you over and knock you down and mess you up between now and the end. Don't wander off. Don't be led astray and don't get scared off. Stand firm to the end. Stay awake and watch and pray that you may stand firm to the very end. This is Jesus's last earthly teaching publicly. The world's gonna go. This is gonna remain. Stand firm. Now, for those of you in this room that go, I'm like a teetering, tottering, wind-blown blade in the, just anything could knock me over. Understand that that ultimately the power of Christ will sustain you because what Jesus did on the cross enacted something more than than just a thought or a feeling. It was a real salvation that he worked. So if you feel like a teetering, tottering fool, that's how am I gonna make it to the end with this mess? I fall over every day, it seems like. Then I wanna encourage you, that's what this is for, to go, wait a minute. He came, he saw, he conquered. How did he conquer? By giving up himself on the cross taking the penalty of your sins, your weaknesses, your insufficiencies, all of those things upon himself. He took him to the cross. He bore the wrath. He bore all the shame that you've ever felt in your life for the things that you have done. And when Jesus was on the cross, he said, I'm gonna take that right now. And he took it and he died, but then he came back from the dead. And I'm telling you right now, All you need to do ultimately to stand firm is to keep your eyes fixed on him. Help me, Lord, to the very end. And you will, you'll make it. I have no doubt that every single one of you in this room, if you're a true child of God, could face in this lifetime death at the hands of people that you love. And I believe that God can sustain you and carry you through that. So let's come together. Let's remember what he's done. Let's have the guys come up. I want to pray for this bread and this cup. We're going to remember what he's done for us. And while you're holding on to this cup, right, when they, once they distribute it, while you're holding on to it, I want to encourage you today, not just of that confession of sin before the Father, but also of saying, Lord, keep me to the end. Would you keep me to the end? Jesus made it to his end He went all the way in obedience, right? That's what the word tells us. He made all the way in obedience. But then he won a path for us. He knocked down the things of this world and there's a clear, straight shot to the Father through what Christ has worked for you. And it's open to all. You might be a complete idiot. (laughs) But your future is incredibly bright and anybody in the world can get in on this. Amen? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this bread and this cup. Lord, I know that all this is is something physical for us to remember. But Lord, I pray that today for those in this room that they would embrace this with all of their being and remember what you did for them on the cross. And Lord, let that not only be their their full hope for eternity, but Lord, I pray that this would also be their full hope for just making it to the end of this. I pray this now in Christ's name. Thank you.